welcome back to Family Law, A Case for Children. Happy New Year and I hope your Christmas was wonderful and you had a brilliant time with your family. And I am grateful that you have returned. Thank you. First, I must apologize for the last podcast. I questioned the quality and I do hope you were able to gain something from it. I did get some snazzy recording gear for an Xmas Prezi, and here's hoping for better quality recording, and I do hope it may also benefit the content. At the end of the last podcast, I stated we would continue with fostering, but rather than move directly into fostering on the first day back, I thought it was necessary to use this episode to clarify the position of this podcast. As we are doing child oblate and fostering, the church and monasteries will be mentioned quite frequently. And I just wanted to clarify the position of the podcast itself so one doesn't get bogged down by the fact that it's always the church, the church, the church but rather we could contextualize it and hopefully, as a result, see that as time goes on, it will be more of a societal thing and not all of it will be reflecting on the church's attitude towards children or whatever influence the church had, but rather it will go to a broader um, scope to include society as a whole. So I do hope this will be informative, but also um, will give clarity. When we last met, we mentioned Godstruck. We had a snapshot at his life. And although he was able to gain his freedom, it was not a fairy tale ending. The abbot appealed the decision made by the synod to Emperor Louis. One of the sources stated that Rabinus the abbot sued in the ecclesiastic court to block Godstruck release, stating that the sacrifice of Isaac, Jephthah's vow, and Samuel's dedication, which I alluded to earlier, he used that as evidence of biblical sanctions for child oblation. God's strict fight for freedom shows how difficult it was for a child given as an oblate to attain his freedom in adulthood. This is not to say that every child, when they reach the age of majority, yearned to be free, nor is it to say that every monk, and in some cases nuns, were reflective of Ravenous. As with modern opinion, not all monks acceded to the use of corporal punishment. Saint Anselm, um, who who was alive between um, 1033 and 1109, argued that to properly raise children to be good adults, they have to be nurtured. And although in society at the time, corporal punishment was popular, Saint Anselm believed children were not being raised for the secular world, but rather they were being raised to be monks. 
We should also bear in mind that despite the fact that child oblates might seem strange in modern society, it was very common in the medieval era and beyond. It was not always the sole decision of the parents. In cases where property was given along with the child oblate, other members of the family would have had to consent, as this implied family property would be lost. Equally, to many children who were poor, disabled, or unwanted pregnancies, monasteries and convents were a place of solace and sanctuary. And as we go through this historical outlook, I would like you to listen to this podcast in a contextual manner. Although we may want to condemn our predecessors for many atrocities towards children, we have to bear in mind that this was a different era. Values, societal norms, and expectations were unique to that time period. And looking predominantly through modern eyes would create a distorted view. This is not to say that the adults did not err, but we should endeavor to be fair in our assessment of their actions. The Roman church and by extension monasteries and convents will be mentioned quite frequently. This is not meant to be a polemic work on monasteries or the Roman church. However, as their influence was so far-reaching, it goes without saying that they will swing from both sides of the pendulum as we investigate this topic. The issues we would like to review is not necessarily the fact that children did not live with their biological parents, but rather what provisions were made to protect these vulnerable children from harm. Karl Marx wrote about the new man and a new society, but he saw man and society in an almost purely economic term, and he only offered economic answers. We cannot have the same idea of children and parents. Allowances always have to be made for the fact that we are human and fallible. When that fallibility does not arise with parents, it can arise within institutions. The fundamental concern for me is the damage committed by a few that can have an astronomical effect not only on the victim, but society. The damage need not be physical or sexual, but it can also be emotional. The old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me, is a myth and a lie because we could see in society how this plays out in society itself, but also through mental health. It, we need to have a broader view of how children are affected when we do not protect them from harm. I am aware that we are presently dealing with the medieval era, but I think it is necessary for us to look at two modern examples 
and that will probably open our eyes to our failures, um, our inability to protect children, and to consider their welfare. You know, our failure as adults to take necessary steps to protect children, sometimes it's really baffling. And these two examples, to me, shows that, is a good example of that, our failures. In the UK, the Roman Catholic Church investigation report in 2022 states, the church's neglect of the physical, emotional, spiritual well-being of children and young people in favor of protecting its reputation was in conflict with its mission of love and care for the innocent and vulnerable. And in the US, research concluded by John Jay College, published in 2004, stated that although it was difficult to get accurate information, but from the data compiled from dioceses, there were 109,694 priests who served between 1950 and 2002. And from that number, 4% of all active priests during that period had allegations of abuse. And that 4% equated to 4,000 392 priests. Both reports entreat two major questions. Where were the adults? And what took them so long to be the vanguards of the children? And this is the aim of a case for children, to ask the question, where were the defenders? I will end today with the quote from Edmund Burke, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph in the world is for good men to do nothing. I do hope you will join me next week as we return to fostering in England.